Hello and welcome to the Sincere Yogi Podcast, a podcast for yogis just like you who are seeking more from their yoga practice that you can't get in your average studio class. My name is Sarah and I'll be your host. Hello, yogis, and welcome back to the Sincere Yogi Podcast. Today, we're going to be diving back into the topic of the yoga yamas, moving on to our third yama, Asteya. Now, if you've listened to the previous few episodes, then you know about the eight-limbed path of yoga and the role of the yoga yamas on that path. If this is all new information to you, I highly recommend backtracking a few episodes so that you have a deeper understanding of the practice of the yoga yamas as well as the eight-limbed path and how these concepts build off of one another in order to create the practice of yoga. Now, we've already talked about the first two yoga yamas, ahimsa and satya, and now we're on to the third yama, which is asteya. Asteya is non-stealing, and just like ahimsa and satya, non-harming and truthfulness, we understand the concept of non-stealing on a surface level. We know not to take something that isn't ours to begin with. We've been ingrained with the concept of non-stealing. So this is something that most of us are already in practice of on that surface level. But of course, we want to take this concept a little deeper, looking at some non-physical concepts that you might be stealing from others as well as from yourself. Because once again, everything that we are in practice of externally with the world around us, we also want to match internally with how we are treating ourselves, our thoughts, our behaviors. And that's where the concept of the yoga yamas takes it deeper and deeper into the layers of our being once we sort of understand that physical layer first. Now, in terms of what we can steal from others, the biggest, most relatable example that comes to mind is stealing moments from someone else. This can be a moment of joy, a moment of excitement, or a moment of sadness. And this happens in social situations when we try to one-up one another. Now, this is something that we've all witnessed or maybe even done ourselves. And oftentimes we do this because we are trying to relate to someone, but there are moments when we do this and it becomes self-serving. Moments where you want to steal that joy or steal that attention for yourself. And that's where you have to practice honesty with yourself because when we steal moments of joy or excitement from others, it can have harmful effects on that person. It can make them second guess their own experiences, second guess their choices. It can make them feel inferior. And these are not things that we want to intentionally be doing to someone else, especially for the sake of not being able to share joy and the spotlight with others. So always trying to remember to celebrate other people's successes, holding space for them and their experiences and emotions without feeling the need to overstep with your very own experiences. 
Another example of stealing an experience, an emotion, a moment away from someone else is when we do something with self-serving intentions in an attempt to control a person or a situation to work out in our favor. Now, this seems very extreme, but can come to very minor circumstances, such as trying to convince your best friend or maybe your partner into canceling their plans with their friends in order to hang out with you for that evening. It seems so minor, but if we are guilt-tripping them, if we are making it seem as though this is their last hope at ever seeing us again or hanging out with us again, even if we're being playful about it, if our intention truly is to have them cancel their plans that maybe they're really excited about just to hang out with you for the evening, is this playfulness really just self-serving in disguise? Not only would you be stealing away an experience if your friend or partner chose to hang out with you and cancel their plans instead, but you're also stealing their time and taking away their choice in the situation if you're adding guilt or emotion behind it in order to sway their opinion in your favor. Now, sometimes we aren't even aware that this is what we're actually doing or we're not aware of what our intention truly is. And this is where the yamas start to ask us to find that space of observation, that space of honest awareness of what your actions, thoughts, and behaviors are really doing in terms of your outside circumstances. And we know that oftentimes the way we handle these certain situations usually stem from our internal experiences, the way that we talk to and treat ourselves. So in the example of trying to convince your best friend or your partner to hang out with you instead of the plans that they already had with their other friends is actually stemming from a place of insecurity or maybe even jealousy. And this is where we can take the practice of Asteya internally. Because once we start to become aware of some of our patterns, our behaviors, our emotions, and once we're able to be honest with ourselves about them, we can then work through them and learn from our experiences. However, if we are not honest about our intentions or experiences, however, if we know that maybe we are acting out of a space of jealousy or insecurity, but we choose to ignore that and plow forward anyway, not only are we not honest with ourselves about what we're experiencing, but we're also stealing away a learning moment from ourselves. Similarly, we can come across these spaces within ourselves where maybe we didn't make the best choice in the past or we're having a hard time acknowledging that we might have been in the wrong about something. Not only do you have to practice honesty with yourself, but you have to practice compassion for yourself. Going all the way back to that very first yama of ahimsa, if we don't allow ourselves to have love, compassion, forgiveness for ourselves, 
then we're stealing away from our current experience by not allowing ourselves to be present. We're stealing away from our current potential by not allowing ourselves to learn and grow because we're sort of stuck in this self-pity space. Now, it's normal to feel emotions of sadness, frustration. It's normal to have insecurities. But what makes us able to bear those insecurities and doubts is the radical compassion that we have to hold for ourselves especially as we go through the process of yoga because as you can see we're starting to get into some emotional layers of our being and as we dive deeper into each one of these concepts there might be some hard truths that you need to face and each time we overcome these obstacles with that overall love for ourselves so that we can hold ourselves with grace and forgiveness every step of the way through. Now, to bring this concept back to the surface just a little, we can look at this idea of stealing away from ourselves in terms of moments, experiences, maybe even emotions. And I think the best example of this is when you say no to a toddler or a child. And at first, they're very grumpy and angry. They might cross their arms and turn their back to you. But then you redirect their attention to something more exciting, something that they can have. And maybe that's an old toy that they forgot about or a book that they haven't read yet. And they're excited. You can see it in their eyes and they kind of turn their head and are interested, but they're still mad and they're pretending that they don't care. Eventually, at least hopefully, the toddler will cave and a major meltdown crisis will hopefully be avoided. But similar to that toddler, we can allow past experiences or future expectations to cloud ourselves from experiencing something in the moment. Maybe an exciting opportunity comes up at work and you're super excited to try something new and build your company but you're also super nervous that you might completely flop. And instead of allowing yourself to be excited and using that excitement to drive you forward, you latch onto the worry and anxiety, put so much pressure on yourself to do a good job that you end up crumbling under the pressure and unable to finally serve that outcome that you ultimately envisioned for yourself. Now, in that experience, you are not only stealing away from your ability to be present and focus on the current task because you're so worried about the outcome, but, but you also stole away a favorable outcome because you were unable to be present for the process as a whole. And this example also shows a little bit of what happens when we have a perfectionistic attitude towards our work or towards how we should be showing up in life in general. I know it can seem like being a perfectionist is good because you want to be good at what you do. You want to be able to work and perform to the best of your capabilities on 
any project or task that you're given. Realistically, though, that's not always feasible. We can't always put 100% into each and every single project that we do for a multitude of reasons. Maybe you've overcommitted, maybe something more pressing occurs, and at some point you have to accept that you can't be 100% or perfect at everything that you do. Not only does this leave little room for compassion when error inevitably occurs, making it harder for us to bounce back and learn, but we're stealing a lot away from ourselves with the guise of perfectionism. Having that level of expectation or quality of work can make the process more worrisome, more laborious, and feel more like a chore rather than enjoying the process, being present for the task at hand, and therefore able to then work at the best of your abilities. Not only that, but If we come across a mistake and we get mad or frustrated and we're really hard on ourselves about that mistake, it can be really hard to learn from that mistake, problem solve, and move forward. So you're stealing away that learning opportunity from yourself when a mistake inevitably occurs. Being a perfectionist can also lead to a level of procrastination to the point where you fall into this cycle of starting a task, that task not turning out the way you wanted or not going as planned, it's not perfect, so you abandon the task only to come back to it a week later when you have less time to worry or work on it and you're scrambling in the end to try to get everything done. And the more and more that you scramble, the more and more messy this gets, therefore the less perfect the task is. And once again, you can fall into that cycle of giving up for a day or two, coming back to finish the task, leading to more anxiety, so on and so forth which that level of perfectionistic procrastination cycle is very inhibiting for you to complete or achieve any project or task on top of the fact that you might not be able to deliver whatever task or project you were expected to deliver either for yourself or for someone else, like work, a friend, so on and so forth. And when this happens, we're stealing somebody's time. They're not going to receive what they were intended to receive at the day and time that they could have. And we're stealing whatever end result it is if we don't end up fulfilling whatever task we promised in the end. For example, maybe you're baking cupcakes for a bake sale and you mess up the recipe once, the second time you mess up the frosting, the third time everything turns out good but they don't look good, you didn't decorate as well as you wanted to, so you try to make a batch the night before and you end up putting too much pressure on yourself, don't have time to fulfill the task, and your family ate all of the other batches that you just made. So you don't have any cupcakes to deliver to this bake sale in the end, when in reality, you could have delivered one of those three batches to the bake sale even if it didn't turn out the way that you envisioned, but you could have still fulfilled your promise in the end and overall helped the bake sale. So as you can see, the practice of non-stealing can be very applicable to a lot of our everyday life circumstances and not just in the act of physically stealing something from someone or another entity. Non-stealing means being able to share the spotlight, not overstepping or trying to one-up others. 
Non-stealing means being honest with yourself and honest with your emotions. Don't be that begrudging toddler that gets angry when they hear no and they end up missing out on an opportunity that's really fun or really exciting because they're just so attached to their anger and misery that they're stealing away any potential experience of joy within that moment or the next. Don't allow your past or future experiences or worries to steal you away from the present moment at hand. And and all of these daily life experiences with Asteya can also translate to our experience on our yoga mat. The idea of a past experience or maybe a future worry stealing away from the present moment on your mat is a huge practice of asteya and one of the easier ways to incorporate the yamas into your yoga practice. Now, as we talked about with the eight-limbed path, towards the end of the eight-limbed path of yoga, we have three different limbs that all seem very similar, and those limbs are pratyahara, dharana, and dhyana. Pratyahara is the withdrawal of the senses, so not allowing our external circumstances to distract us from what might be happening internally on our mat in our meditation practices. Dharana is concentration, and then dhyana is meditation. Now, there is a major difference between all of these different practices. That's why they are respectfully three separate limbs of the yoga practice. But when we look at pratyahara and the withdrawal of the senses, that is one of the most direct ways in which we can see asteya at play within the other limbs of the yoga practice. Now, pratyahara is practiced when we are distracted, when a thought pops up in our head during our meditation practice, and instead of running away with that thought, we choose to focus on our breath instead and let that thought float by. Or if we have run away with that thought, we recognize we've run away with that thought and we're able to withdraw and bring it back into our breath and ourselves. Now, that is the very first level of meditation. And then dharana, concentration is the next. And then finally, you reach that meditative state of mind. But we can't reach a meditative state of mind if we don't first overcome external or internal distractions to steal us away from the present moment, from our breath, from the experience in our body, on our yoga mat, and then, of course, within our everyday lives. The whole concept of staying present with your breath on your mat and not creating to-do lists in your head or worrying about the tasks to come are all a greater practice of asteya, non-stealing. And once again, we can already see how deep of a practice the yoga yamas really are from that very first surface level all the way down into the deeper inner workings of the soul. I love being able to share about the yamas and the niyamas, and I love hearing your experiences of learning about the yamas through the podcast. So as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to give it a rating, subscribe, leave a review. Every little bit helps in order for me to continue to make more content for you. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining me on the Sincere Yogi Podcast. 
if you want to deepen your yoga and meditation practice, check out my workshops and masterclasses on the Playbook app or join my guided meditation series on Insight Timer. If you just want to stop by, say hi, and see what's up, you can find me at The Sincere Yogi on Instagram.